Um, We're going to be reading from Philippians chapter 1, verses 20 through 30. For I fully expect and hope that I will never be ashamed, but that I will continue to be bold for Christ as I have been in the past. And I trust that my life will bring honor to Christ, whether I live or die. For to me, living means living for Christ, and dying is even better. But if I live, I can do more fruitful work for Christ. So I really don't know which is better. I'm torn between two desires. I long to go and be with Christ, which would be far better for me. But for your sakes, it is better that I continue to live. Knowing this, I am convinced that I will remain alive so I can continue to help all of you grow and experience the joy of your faith. And when I come to you again, you will have even more reason to take pride in Christ Jesus because of what he is doing through me. Above all, you must live as citizens of heaven, conducting yourselves in a manner worthy of the good news about Christ. Then, whether I come and see you again or only hear about you, I will know that you are standing together with one spirit and one purpose, fighting together for the faith, which is the good news. Don't be intimidated in any way by your enemies. This will be a sign to them that they are going to be destroyed, but that you are going to be saved, even by God himself. For you have been given not only the privilege of trusting in Christ, but also the privilege of suffering for him. We are in the struggle together. You have seen my struggle in the past, and you know that I am still in the midst of it. This is the word of the Lord. One more time, I want to congratulate you seniors. I was like Jody, though. I looked up because I wanted to congratulate y'all one more time. I was like, y'all were gone. I thought... They're ready. Let's go. Let's get out of here. Uh, thank you for coming back in. Uh, I want to ask, begin by asking you seniors, do you all remember, because I'm talking about Susan having a throwback to, was it kind of, uh, preschool. preschool choir? Can all, any of y'all remember back that far, preschool choir with Miss Womack? Can you remember second grade? How many of y'all remember second grade, either your teacher or your classroom or a crush you had? Jonathan, come on. Uh, <laughs> How many of y'all remember second grade at all? How many of y'all remember being in second grade? Remember the teacher? Yeah, kind of, okay, yeah, good, good, good. Uh, read recently, true story about a teacher of second graders, and she had a science lesson on the magnet, the almighty magnet, and what it does and how it works. And she really wanted to drill that into their heads, and so the next day uh, she had a written quiz, and for extra credit she included this question, my full name has six letters, The first one is M, and I pick up things. What am I? Nearly half of the responses were mother. (laughs) I pick up things. I see mothers right now like, yep, yep. Mothers and mentors and caregivers are such examples of heartfelt sacrifice. A year ago last March, for whatever reason they did this, Welch's Juice Company uh, did some research, did, a, did an intense survey about the workloads and schedules of 2,000 American moms with children ages 5 to 12. The role, they found, is equivalent to 2.5 full-time jobs. This is real raw data here. The average mom starts at 6.23 a.m., doesn't stop until 8.31 p.m. The average downtime is just 67 minutes. Think about that. That's a little more than the average lunch break for somebody working 9 to 5. These 14-hour workdays add up to 98 hours throughout the nonstop seven-days-a-week regimen. 
And at the end, instead of having some real uh, elaborate conclusion, <laughs> the conclusion of this scientific study simply was one sentence, never ask a mother, so, do you work? Well put. Praise God for all the heartfelt sacrifices, not just of good mothers, but of great mentors, uh, uh, just adults who, who just pour so much into young people and sacrifice their time and their effort and so much on their behalf. And all the more for those, obviously, who nurture faith. I found a quote from Theodore Roosevelt who said this one time, Praying mothers are America's greatest assets. And his mother was a devout Christian. Her name was Martha Roosevelt. And I'm sure he was thinking about her when, in 1905, March of 1905, uh, Theodore Roosevelt, when he was president of the United States, gave a speech on parenthood, of all things. Very interesting. It was an interesting read. But I think he was thinking about his mother, Martha, when he said these words, The woman's task is not easy. No task worth doing is easy, but in doing it, and when she has done it, there shall come to her the highest and holiest joy known to mankind. And having done it, she shall have the reward prophesied in Scripture itself. Yes, and all people who realize that her work lies at the foundation of all national happiness and greatness shall rise up and call her blessed. And that really does apply to mothers and mentors and, and again, people who just pour into their uh, younger people. And I would include fathers as well. In fact, Roosevelt had a very devout and sacrificial mother, but he also had a very devout and sacrificial father. Theodore Sr. was an amazing man, uh, philanthropist, a successful businessman. But one of the things he was best known for, because his son Theodore Roosevelt, who became president, used to talk about it, was that Theodore Sr., in the wee hours of the morning, would carry his young Theodore around. Many of you know that President Roosevelt, when he was very young, had terrible life-threatening asthma. And, and it was just so difficult to breathe. And so for hours, uh, his father would walk up and down the hallways of their home, kind of bouncing him a little bit, keeping little Teddy upright so his windpipe could drain and he could simply breathe. And President Roosevelt, years later, would write about how one of his fondest memories of being a child was feeling warm and close to his father during those wee hours of the morning where his father was helping him to breathe and just, just, just loving on him. And he had a nickname. He gained a nickname because not only did Theodore Roosevelt Sr. take good care of his kids, uh, like I said, he was quite the philanthropist. He founded hospitals where destitute people could go and wouldn't have to pay much of anything for medical care. Uh, he founded orphanages for homeless kids. He helped homeless people in New York City. And because of all this, he was given a nickname, and it was Greatheart. Greatheart, who is a character, actually, in a very well-known book, uh, Pilgrim's Progress. And Greatheart was described in the book as a compassionate protector of weaker pilgrims. And apparently that described him well. Roosevelt Sr. was a great heart, giving sacrificially to other people. So you could really say that both of the Roosevelt parents were great hearts, could be called great heart. And that's really what our text this morning challenges you and me to do. It tells us that ultimately, it tells us what it takes to have a great heart on behalf of others that really reflects the love of Jesus Christ. And Paul shows this great heart, but he is careful and clear to say within this passage that the reason he has any great heart at all is because of the greatest of hearts whom he follows, who obviously is named Jesus Christ. So let's talk about what it means to live with great hearts. Philippians 1 
is amazing, amazing chapter. Paul is in prison, as you know. He is suffering in prison. He is separated from loved ones, not just that, but the earlier part of our passage this morning that, that Nancy read talks about how he has been betrayed by other preachers who were kind of dogging him, really demeaning him in front of other people to a wide audience. But what does Paul say with all this? doesn't matter. Look at verses 18 and 19. He basically says, I will rejoice. Just before this, he says, I will rejoice. And then verse 18, he says, and I will continue to rejoice. says it twice. For I know that as you pray for me and the Spirit of Jesus Christ helps me, this will lead to my deliverance. And there's a, there's a double meaning there, deliverance. It's either... This will lead to my deliverance from prison, or it will deliver me to heaven, is really what he's saying. It's going to be one or the other. He doesn't know which one it is. But what's interesting is he prefers the latter. He could remain where he is. He could stay here on earth, but he would love to just go on and be with Jesus in heaven. And he makes that very clear. He prefers the latter. Look at verses 20 and 21. For I fully expect and hope that I will never be ashamed but that I will continue to be bold for Christ as I have been in the past. And I trust that my life will bring honor to Christ whether I live or die. For me, living means living for Christ and dying is even better. Now that's New Living Translation, and I love New Living Translation, as you know. But I learned it in a way that it really is one of the most poetic, lyrical sentences that you find in all of Scripture. Y'all could probably help me with this. For me to live is Christ and to die is what? For me to live as Christ and to die as gain. I think it's one of the most beautiful, lyrical passages in all of Scripture. And that's a great, almost literal translation. For me to live as Christ and to die as gain. It really does reflect what I posted on Easter morning. It was a very simple yet profound quote for me by uh, Ephraim the Syrian, who lived in the 4th century. And he said this. He said, our death is already behind us and our resurrection before us. And the more I ponder that, it's just mind-boggling to me. What he's saying is death is not an issue for us anymore. In, in a way, death isn't even this dire event. Our death is already behind us. Only the resurrection awaits us. And if you really think through that, that's amazing. For you to live as Christ means that death is already behind you. All that waits is eternity. What an incredible, incredible gift. And you can clearly tell that Paul has that mindset. And that's why he's so ready to go. He's like, I'd really rather go on to heaven. But because of his great heart, he decides to remain on earth, not for himself, but for the sake of others. Look at verses 23 through 25. He says, I'm torn between the two desires. I long to go and be with Christ. That's what I really long for, yearn for, which would be far better for me. But for your sakes, it is better that I continue to live and, and and in the niv it's remain and it's the same word in the greek that you find in just a second one more time to remain it's better that i continue to remain to live knowing this i am convinced that i will remain alive why so that i can continue to help all of you grow and experience the joy of your faith he'd much rather go but he chooses to remain and he says that twice almost to me he's talking himself into yeah it's better to remain it's better to remain and he knows that it is it's the more giving thing to do in his situation. It's the more Christ-like thing to do. It's the more giving, sacrificial thing to do. Pretty amazing that that is what he is about, and that is his mindset. He's really reflecting the heart of Jesus Christ and the decision that he made to remain. I talked about this at, at Easter, and just, just to drill it home to make sure that we know what was the great temptation that Satan tossed to jesus at that time let's just get to the very end of the story where he says what well, all these things i will give you if you just bow down and worship 
me. That's all, all it takes. And what, he was tempt, what was he tempting Jesus to do? To get out of all the suffering? Now, Jesus is at the, the beginning of his three-year ministry, and wouldn't it have been tempting just to circumvent all of that pain, that death on the cross? It, it would have been the, the greatest Achilles heel that he had. But nevertheless, what does Jesus decide? Yeah, I, I could go on and be the kind of earthly king they want, and forget about this ministry, but you know what? I'm going to remain in it. I'm going to stay in this ministry. Not for my sake, because it's the harder road, but for their sake, I'm going to do just that. So Paul himself is really reflecting the Christ story. The Christ who chose suffering and the cross and resurrection. Paul is choosing not to go on and have it easy in heaven. No, I'm going to stay for your sake and go the harder road, the more difficult way, because that is what I'm called to do. And why is he ch- taking the more challenging way? If nothing else, let's look at the next verses here because I think th- this, is what, this is what it's all about, verses 25 and 26. Knowing this, I am convinced that I will remain, I'll remain alive so I can continue to do what? Three things. To help all of you grow and experience the joy of your faith. And when I come to you again, you will have even more reason to take pride in Christ Jesus. Some translations say to boast in Jesus. It's really saying so that you will have the opportunity to be even bolder in your witness on Christ's behalf because of what he is doing through me. That's why he is remaining in prison, taking the more difficult road. Why? So that others would grow in the faith, that others would find joy in the faith, so that they would become bolder in sharing the gospel with other people. He said, that's what I'm about. You know, I'm not just going to preach the cross. I will kind of live it out with what I'm doing even here. Whether I live or die doesn't matter. Now, I want to pause for just a second and apply this collectively to Brookwood as a whole because I want to thank you for remaining. Uh, Remaining on our mission, uh, I got two great messages from people who most of you don't know but were at our church in the last uh, six weeks or so. Amazing messages that talked about your church is the most warm and welcoming church we've ever been in. Y'all get five gold stars for that, one of them said. And that's great. We're known for that. We're known for our our being so missions-based and missions-crazed, which I just love about us. But I've got to say one other thing. We're, what I've learned lately is about your great hearts for sacrificial giving, and I just want to, want to thank you for that. You know, we did Above and Beyond, which ended on December 31st, and we doubled our missions budget, more than doubled it, which was incredible. And we're already seeing the benefits of it. We're going to hear some testimonies in the weeks to come about that. That's just amazing. But I remember soon after we finished, you know, closed off Above and Beyond, and we were like, ooh, if you look at it, it looks like it's affected the budget a little bit. We'll need to think about that. And I got up here and talked about you can spare two lattes a week and give a little more to the church. Unless it's Starbucks, Dave Thomas. Uh, unless it's Starbucks, you can get lattes there. Otherwise, keep, you know, give that extra money to the church. And, and if you look at where we are now, we're ahead in our regular operating budget now. So again, I want to thank you for your great hearts and uh, uh, apply this to us, just what it means to give sacrificially. Because hell, just... If nothing else, know this, that as we are succeeding in that, just by our generosity, trust me on this, what are we doing when we give sacrificially and with great hearts here? Well, we're doing these three things. We're helping other people grow in the faith, find joy in their faith, and become bolder in their witnesses. They know that we are sacrificing and giving generously. That inspires other folks, and I hope we see this. But I want to apply this now to you personally. Uh, you know, often you and I do not choose our sacrifices. They're not of our own making. And sometimes we find ourselves having to remain in the midst of 
challenging circumstances. It's as if we sometimes find ourselves in a prison that's not of our making and it's difficult for us to go through. It could be a health crisis or an emotional crisis that you're facing, a spiritual one. It could be a relational issue, something going on in a marriage or, or as you parent. It could, be, it could be a job crisis or a lack thereof of a job. It, it, could, be, it could be so many other things. It could be kind of caught in this web that, or this cycle of grief that you can't seem to get out of. Something is causing you stress or fear or uncertainty or all of the above, and it feels like a prison cell. If I were to ask you right now, you know, what is your prison right now? To whatever, it might not be real dramatic or it could be something pretty thick and intense at the moment because we all are going to face those. If I were to ask you, what is your prison, your circumstance in which you find yourself right now, what would it be? Well, if you don't hear me say anything else, let me say two things. First of all, like Paul, in faith, God is calling you to remain in it for now, for now, but trust that in due time, God will Bring your deliverance along, just as he did for Paul. Remain in it for now. Stay in it. And you will be delivered from it, but not only that. Stay in it and grit out your faith right now. And you know what you will do? You'll make an incredible impact on other people. We talked about some of these people last week, even here, who have gone through whatever, health crisis, financial crisis, job crisis, whatever it might be. And people who have gritted out their faith at that point, and what has it done? It's helped other people grow in the faith. Rejoice in the reality, just the opportunity to have faith and relationship with God. And it's helped other people be emboldened by your bold testimony. If nothing else, hear me on that. In fact, I want you to say, I received that. I've got these Pentecostal students now. We've got Pentecostals coming into Stanford. Just getting frightening. No, it's great. They're wonderful. But it's one thing, you'll tell them something and you really mean it, and they'll look at you and say, I received that. That's a big thing in Pentecostals. Y'all ever heard somebody say that? Like, I received that. So let me say it one more time. If you're, whatever your prison is right now, whatever your challenge, whatever your hardship is right now, stay in it for now. Remain in it. Really, not on your behalf so much as on behalf of others, trusting that in due time God is going to deliver you from it, but secondly, so that your witness will be incredible to others and embolden people and make them rejoice in their witness and be strong, grow stronger in their witness. And you said what? Say, I received that. One more time. I received that. I think these seniors, just amazing graduates. Uh, Congrats again. I want to tell you about... I'm going to close telling you about one of my uh, graduates over at Sanford. Um, This is a young lady who, if you met her, she's the most gregarious young lady, just fun-loving, and you would think just likes to be in the fun zone all the time. Uh, A summer or two ago, she went to a country in Eastern Europe, and I can't be real specific about it, but she went and worked for a summer in Eastern Europe and worked with a ministry that battles against human trafficking every day. Every day. It's quite intense, somewhat dangerous the more I hear about it. And yet she did that. And if you'd have told me in this class in which I first met her fairly recently, you know, that that's what she had done for a summer, that, that just blew my mind. I couldn't believe that. And um, she, she graduated uh, very, very recently. And I remember asking her uh, a few days before graduation, hey, what are your plans now? What are your plans? And uh, she said, well, well, first I'm going back. I said, where? I said, oh, oh, back over there with that ministry? She said, yeah. 
And I said, oh, are you going back to, to visit friends there? And she said, well, yeah. I said, well, I mean, are you going to be there for the summer again? She said, well, yeah. And she gave me that look, and I said, well, I mean, you're going to be there through just for the summer coming back? No. Oh, summer and then another semester? Well, you don't have semesters anymore because you're about to graduate. And she said, well, no. I said, okay, so kind of a summer and a gap year. No. And she said, Dr. B, I'm going over there to stay for now. I'm going to remain there. And I thought, you're really going to do that? And she said, yeah, that's, that's where I'm called. And I thought, wow, it would be so much easier for her to do so many other things. But she's going to stay in that. And she's really living out the words of Ephraim the Syrian that I mentioned earlier. She's saying, my death is behind me, only my resurrection is before me, so why worry? Let's get out there and do this. What courage, what a great heart she is. You know, courage, the word courage comes from the word heart, courage. It's where you get words for cardiac and other things. It's, it's courage. And I had to ask this young lady who's heading back to Eastern Europe to battle against the demonic actions of human trafficking. I thought, I want to ask her, this college graduate, how would you define true courage? What is true courage? And I went up and I said, so-and-so, you know, how would you describe courage? How would you define courage? And she thought for a minute, and she looked at me and said, Dr. B, true courage is letting love win. That's it. I thought that was powerful. True courage is letting love win. That being said by someone who exudes much better than me that perfect love that casts out what? Fear? An amazing, great heart. You know, Lord Jesus, we are so blessed and so bountiful here in this part of the world. Give us hearts of sacrifice. Make us living sacrifices, O oh God that we can live in similar manner, to let love win no matter how sacrificially down the road it takes us toward pain and suffering. True courage is letting love win anyway. Because for us to live as Christ, to die is gain. Let's pray together. Greatest of hearts, we ask that you would give us greater hearts that our love would abound that our capacity to love others would expand and deepen, and even, yes, become more daring and dangerous, that we might dare to stand on your behalf. We lift up these graduates who are going into a different world now. We ask that they would have hearts of sacrifice and be willing to sacrifice those things in their lives that would enable them to be even more shining witnesses for you, more emboldened witnesses for you. But Lord, help that to apply to all of us even now. Help us, O oh God, to have the hearts that we know that we can have, the great hearts with greater love that can cast out all our fear. Because ultimately, living is for you. Dying is gain. May we embrace that in our hearts this morning. We pray these things in your name. Amen.